Hey everyone, you're listening to the MLEPC podcast. Thank you for joining us. The podcast features every previous Sunday's sermon and plenty of other cool content like interviews and mini-series. Please remember to share our content and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date with everything that we create. You can find out more about what's happening at the church by visiting our website at mlepc.org or checking us out on our social media. Once again, we thank you for tuning in to the Emily PC podcast, and we hope to see you at an event soon. Good morning. It's time for the uh, children to be dismissed now for their time uh, together. I actually wish in some ways that they were here with us because the, pa- the passage today is honor thy father and thy mother. <laughs> it's always good for kids to know, uh, but you can watch it online uh, as a family later on. Today's sermon is entitled, The Kids Are All Right, and it's a uh, reference to uh, The Who and Who's Next album from the 1970s. Um, We're going to dig a little bit deeper into the scripture passages this morning, but I want you to know that this message is a difficult message to, uh, to preach because of the dynamics of families in the modern world. It's a very hard thing to apply. It's not one size fits all. The principles are the same, but it's not one size fits all. So um, let's start with our scripture passages today. First, we start with Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given to you. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Proverbs 1, 8 through 9. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teachings. They are garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Luke 2, 51. And Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And finally, our fifth passage for today, Colossians 3, 20 through 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. The comedian, Ray Romano, made this observation. Having children is like living in a frat house. Nobody sleeps, everything's broken, and there's a lot of throwing up. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. Well, today's sermon is about more than parents or children or the relationship between the two or family dynamics of any given variety or marriage or singleness, or adoption, or any of those other likewise important things. It's about the fact that we believe in a God and are loved by a God who puts up guardrails for his own children. We who are in Christ are God's adopted children, which is why we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. So part of the Ten Commandments are an extension of that reality 
that God is not only a higher power who's out there, some intangible force, or strictly a powerful authority, or strictly a merciful and kind being. God is a person. God is a divine person. And the scriptures tell us that our relationship with him is one of father to child and child to father. So it would make sense that earthly relationships would reflect that reality. Earthly relationships should, in fact, reflect that reality. The parable, the parable of the prodigal son points to that in amazing ways, showing the undying love of a father whose child has run off in foolish rebellion. Though God in personhood is father, and though Jesus Christ is the only begotten and eternal son of the father, God also has many motherly attributes according to the scriptures. You could see this in Isaiah 42, 14 through 16, Deuteronomy 32, 18, and Matthew 23, 37 through 38. The fact that we are made in the image of God, male and female, in the likeness of God, suggests that God's attributes in, in and of themselves have both fatherly and motherly uh, aspects to them. So what does it mean to honor one's father and one's mother? The Hebrew word for honor in the Ten Commandments is kabod, which means weighty or heavy. In the context of Exodus 20, it means to prize highly, to care for, to show respect, and to obey. Really, the commandment to honor one's parents does not ever end, even upon their deaths. When we are young, we are called to view our parents as loving, but also as the authorities in our lives, the ones who have wisdom. We are to view them as the ones who intentionally set up boundaries to protect us and loosen boundaries at the right moments so that we ourselves can become independent, godly adults. Really, the question that arises with all of these commandments, especially this one, is this quintessential question that traces all the way back to God the Father in the Garden of Eden. God is asking a simple question. Do you trust me? Do you trust that my ways are loving? Do you trust that my ways are in your best interests? In Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says this, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So another question that God asks is, do you trust me to provide for you, to give you all of what you need and some of what you want? But here's the sign of a rebellious child. A rebellious child wants all of what they want all of the time, and that is not godly, not right, and not good. That's why the Bible describes God as disciplinary when it is a required teaching tool to augment the character of all of his children. The message today has three points about honoring one's father and one's mother. The first point is that honoring one's father and mother is an extension of honoring God himself. The second is that in today's world, 
honoring one's father and mother takes different forms, partly because families are no longer typical in their function or in their makeup, sometimes due to our broken and fallen, fallen situation, sometimes due to circumstances beyond our control. Not to mention we live in the modern world, and that world looks very different from the ancient Near East. So though the principles of Scripture stay the same, how they are applied is a complicated task. The third point is that Jesus is the perfect example, the perfect example of both an obedient son and a loving parent. Jesus embodies both of those things. Getting right into our first point. Honoring one's father and mother is an extension of honoring God himself. Part of God's design is and was to set up systems of both authority and accountability in the lives of people. Even Jesus Christ, who is fully God, the second person of the Trinity, who in very nature and being as God in the flesh, submitted to his Father. Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Each man in this world is under the authority of God first, and then the earthly authorities under which God has put man, namely the authority of other believers who likewise submit to Christ. The authority also, somewhat, of the state. Romans 13, 1 through 7 says this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against the, what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And then skipping ahead, it says this, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now granted, some of my own political leanings may, uh, may make this a difficult passage for me, but it's still true. <laughs> The point is that God has created an order and a ranking of accountability. As if I won't get into enough controversy and drama with the passage I just quoted and applied, next is Ephesians 5:23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. This applies specifically to marriage and ultimately extends into an entire family unit. And it's very clear. What is also very clear is that in that same scripture, it says husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church and sacrificed himself for her. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty high calling for a man to love his wife to the same extent that Christ sacrificed and loved the people that he saved. It's extremely high, but it's part of this order that I'm, I'm trying to describe here. I'm trying to, uh, to paint a bigger picture. And finally, Colossians 3, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. There's an order. There's a sequence. There is a, a design of both love and accountability. If there are any kids out there who are listening especially teenagers, I fully understand that it is hard for you to submit to anyone, let alone your parents. 
I was there. Trust me, I was. In pretty significant ways. But in submitting to your mom and your dad, you are indirectly submitting to God. The basis of that submission is not submission or discipline for submission or discipline's own sake. The basis of that obedience to your parents is a combination of love and of trust. Just read the Bible. God is interested in loving people, and he wants people to love and to trust him back. 1 John says this, 1 John 4. It's this amazing passage. It simply says, God is love. God is love. And we get the sense from Scripture that God's disciplining actions for his children are simply an extension of his love. That Scripture first, uh, in 1 John 4 is unique, and this is why. All of the other things, the Bible says that God is just, for example, But when you look at the actual language, when you compare the Hebrew and the Greek and all of those things, when it says that God is love, it's saying that love is not just an attribute of God's character, it's part of his essence. It's part of his being. At the core of who God is, is love. All of those other attributes are extensions of his character, but love is the core of God's being. Here's the problem. I think in our world, we, it's not that we misdefine that God is love, for he is. We have a weird definition of what love is. The most loving thing you can do for your child is by getting them on the path to follow Jesus. And the way that you get them on the path to follow Jesus is through this amazing process of care and nurturing and discipline and authority. I remember my own life as a kid. My parents set down a very good example of both love and discipline. They gave me enough leeway so that I could make some decisions on my own and be met with either a blessing or for counting on their parental wisdom or a curse, a consequence for simply just doing it my own way. During my rebellious years, I was testing boundaries, essentially as a way to define my own identity over and against my parents. This is completely normal, by the way. It's completely natural. It's a natural thing for a teenager to do. But there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. For example, trying to manipulate the 21-year-old neighbor girl into buying beer for my friends and I, that's a wrong way to do it, right? But identity formation is a key component of becoming a young adult. And this is precisely where godly and biblical wisdom come in. Essentially, parents are called to leave their child enough rope to learn from things, but not so much rope that they hang themselves with it. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Start children off on the way that they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. How and when this plays out is often a mystery. And the reason I say that is because I know parents who have started off their children in the way they should go, and they are still waiting for their kid to return to that way. And they're thinking, okay, Lord, (laughs) how much time is this going to take? But God's word is true, and he is faithful. 
We do it because that is the principle set down, because God has reasons behind those principles. So the commandment to honor one's father and mother never goes away, but how it is obeyed changes from season to season. Being independent when you are four years old takes the form of pancake mix all over the kitchen ceiling. But being independent when you're 24 years old is a good thing. You hold down a job, you come, become responsible, you become independent. You have a sense of, of personal and spiritual accountability. So the Proverbs passage here reminds me of training wheels. The idea is that parents are to guide their children above all else to love and obey God himself. Then when the training wheels come off, the idea is that the child one day will be able to cycle the spiritual tour de France. So Hebrews 12, 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Young people, if you want to grow righteousness, if you want to grow peace, you must learn to sow trust and obedience as it regards your parents. God has put them in your life to guide you and to show you the ways of Jesus. You may say, well, what if my parent is a hypocrite or ungodly or abusive or addicted to something? What if tragically my mom or, or my dad have both died or one of them has died? We will get to that point in our next point. But the overarching theme is this. God the Father, he is our great father in heaven. He has given each of us fathers and mothers in an earthly way. In whatever way, shape, or form, in whatever um, form of spiritual nurture and discipline and care. And that's precisely their role, is to care for us, to nurture us, and to discipline us. This was a common thing among the Hebrew people when the Old Testament was, was compiled. But um, ultimately, in modern parenting, that's a very difficult thing to swallow. Uh, we have a lot of other uh, parenting models floating around there. But our goal is to listen to the Scriptures and apply them. One of the most abusive things that you can do to a child is to not find the proper balance between grace and discipline. I'm convinced of it. I read a book recently on... Um, on patterns of parenting written by a, a Christian uh, author and counselor. And this individual defines three different kinds of parenting. One is the extreme of authoritarianism. That's basically where everything is a consequence and a kid can never do anything right. The rules are so strict that it essentially allows them never to be a child. On the other hand, this other extreme is a uh, extreme that the author defines as dismissive-ism. <laughs> Basically, you just dismiss everything. The child can do whatever they want at any moment in time with no boundaries, and you're essentially there to be their friend and not their parent. So you have these two extremes. But the author comes down on a, a last one. So authoritarianism, dismissive-ism, but in the middle is authoritative. And being authoritative is the application of biblical discipline at moments where it's appropriate. So it disciplines a child, but it allows a child to be a child. 
Our second point is this. Modern America looks really different from the covenants that were cut in the ancient Near East. The Ten Commandments reflected the cultural norms of covenant making and keeping during the time that they were handed down to Moses on Mount Sinai during the Mosaic or Sinai covenant in the books of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy. So though that aspect is hard to connect with our modern lives, the principles all stay the same. What then if I'm adopted? Well, if you are adopted, you are to treat your adoptive parents as your own parents. How do I know this? Because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1.5 that we have been adopted by God as Father through God's plan in accordance with His goodwill and pleasure. Then Ephesians 5.1 calls us to imitate the God who has adopted us because we are dearly beloved children. So if you are adopted, many thoughts and feelings will run through your mind. Complex ones, maybe painful ones. But remember this, most of the time, adults adopt children because they want to give them the gift of a family. So what if my parents are divorced? This too is incredibly painful and a heavy burden. Though this complicates things, the principles stay the same. It's harder to, to discern, but the principles stay the same of obedience and nurture. Unless we are full adults, we are called to obey the words that our parents say. Unless obedience to our parents categorically transgresses the will of God in the Scriptures. Obedience to our parents becomes less central as we grow into our adult years, but honoring them never goes away. It is always right to honor one's parents. St. Thomas Aquinas, this amazing uh, 13th century uh, theologian and uh, interpreter of the scriptures, he drew this amazing parallel. He said that when our parents get older, we honor them the same way our parents loved us when we were children. So as a child begins, you know, doesn't have the same faculties, physical or mental, so too when our parents get older, we love them the way they loved us when we were children. And he said that produces patience. It's patient, loving care. A very difficult thing for a child to do and to see. But that's part of the ways that we are called to honor our parents. So that's an aspect. These are aspects that are hard to connect into, uh, into modern time periods. But again, the principles are the same. What if I live in a blended family with moms, dads, stepmoms, and stepdads? Well, here the onus of responsibility falls on the man to lead by loving God first, his wife next, his children next, according to the book of Ephesians. Then his interactions with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, according to Galatians 5.13 and 1 Thessalonians 5.11. I think this because the scriptures speak very frequently about our relationships with other Christians outside of our families. Men in today's society need support structures, and those support structures come from other men within churches. A man's job responsibilities, according to Proverbs, and also his personal services to Christ carry a special weight, but even those things are fourth and fifth on the list of priorities in the scriptures. My point is this, 
In a family of mixed adults, the elders always have authority over the youngsters. 1 Peter 5.5 says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As we humble ourselves, God extends the grace needed to work through difficult family dynamics or the temporary sacrifice of one's own will and obedience to one elder, one's elders. At least this is how I interpret it. Based on the context, even though the first Peter passage uses the term, the word presbyteroi, which is where we get our word Presbyterian and presbyter and elder, I don't think this passage is referring to ordained church elders, but simply to older men and women who have both wisdom and authority in the lives of younger people. So if you have a step-parent, honor them. If you have just a mom or just a dad, honor them. If you don't have a biological parent who is alive, but others who have taken interest or authority in your life, honor them. So here comes a tough question. It's a question I'm asked a lot in a pastoral role. The question is, what if my parents or parents truly in every way are jerks? Like real jerks. I always, when I hear this, I always have a little bit of suspicion because every kid thinks their parent is a jerk at some point in time. Not just in my mind, but objectively, they are bad. What if they're abusive to me? Like literally abusive. Or criminals. Or addicts to alcohol or drugs. Or chronically, chronically neglectful. Or verbally abusive, and they berate me constantly. I'll say it again. This is not very popular. In some ways, these concepts of abuse in our culture, in our society, are overblown in people's minds. I know that sounds terrible for me to say, but if a, care, a parent asks the kids to trim the bushes or paint the shed, that's not abuse, but it is in some circles in our world. If a parent doesn't let their kids do whatever they want, that is sometimes considered abuse in our culture. But the reality is real abuse occurs in our world, and it is categorically tragic, and we need to take it into account. This is all I know. We know how to distinguish abuse from discipline because the heart of discipline is in the best interest of a child, whereas abuse is not. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Parental plans for children should always be to prosper them, not to harm them. And this is where children who experience abusive homes are caught between a rock and a hard place, to obey their parents when the Holy Spirit shows it to them, but to set up a firm boundary when not. When I was doing youth ministry, you would be amazed at how often a kid would become embedded in the ministries of this church, but their parents didn't know Christ and had completely dysfunctional ways of looking at the world and were abusive to that teenager. It would happen over and over and over again. So now the church is set as a mediator for a family 
where the child is trying to know Christ, but their parents are actually abusive to them. That's a very difficult position to be in for everyone. It's very difficult to do if one is raised in a culture of violence or constant conflict or simply does not have the voice or the power to set up a boundary. I want you to know if you find yourself in that situation, pray and seek help even if you do so quietly or discreetly. You're not alone and God does not want you to be victimized by the very people that he has set in place to raise you. Our final point is this. Jesus Christ is a perfect example of both an obedient son and a loving parent. Jesus Christ managed to obey both his heavenly father and his earthly parents even when those two obedience patterns seemed to be exclusive to one another. In Luke 2, the boy Jesus stays behind spending a moment with his heavenly father and learning from spiritual elders in the temple while Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents, continued on their journey. This would sort of be like the modern-day version of Jesus getting lost in the mall. Only the mall was where his eternal father lived, and he was learning and actually teaching his father's word and its meaning. Jesus' response to his concerned mother and father why were you searching for me? <laughs> Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? It says they did not understand what he was telling, saying to them. It didn't compute. This passage amazes me because the passage goes on to say, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. His mother knew <laughs> Something, something at the depths of it, that even Jesus' disobedience wasn't really disobedience. One translation says, though, after that interaction, he became submissive to them. Think about this. This is God, God submitting himself, honoring Joseph, his non-biological father, and Mary, his mother, he is submitting himself to them. The boy Jesus followed the fifth commandment here, even while following the leading of his father in the temple. The reason why? Jesus sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else fell into place. Even though Jesus was and is God in the flesh, he followed the fifth commandment perfectly. Jesus even honored his mother in the form of his first miracle at Cana. That was his first miracle in the Gospel of John. Something his mom asked him to do. Turning water into wine was his mom's request. Of course, this was also a theological confirmation of Jesus' kingship as the, of the lineage of David, reflecting the time when Solomon was requested by his own mother Bathsheba to do something. Jesus' obedience to his heavenly Father took the form of this prayer in relation to going on to be crucified for the sake of the entire sinful world. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. 
yet not my will, but yours be done. If we want to talk about honoring one's father, if we want to talk about obedience and the weightiness of that obedience, Jesus took that to a whole other level. Everything Jesus did was bathed in both grace and challenge. He loved his disciples, but he rebuked them when needed in service to his heavenly Father and their own spiritual growth. He severely chastised the scribes and the Pharisees for leading people away from the kingdom, for their hypocrisy, and for their misguided religiosity. But I would argue that Jesus still loved them. He just didn't want them to stop other people from entering the kingdom. In a sense, Jesus, as the ultimate spiritual authority, used that authority to express care and nurture, discipline, guidance, and correction for those around him. Remember, the woman caught in adultery. His statement, he who is without sin cast the first stone. That statement extends protection, forgiveness, and grace. But the statement immediately after that, he says, go and sin no more, marking the challenge of knowing him as Savior, the challenge of following him. So he loves with a merciful, compassionate love, but he disciplines with a firm discipline. So in Colossians 3, where it states, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. It is truly taken as a composite. Children obey your parents, but parents don't provoke your kids. Kids, know the fifth commandment and follow it. Do not justify your own will and gratification by testing your parents' authority. Be like Christ. Be submissive to the authority of God as God and of parents as parents. And parents, the call is to not discourage your children, recognizing that they are indeed still children. The Greek word there tells us to not exasperate or stir up our kids to the point of anger, to the point where they want to give up. Discipline them within the confines of what they can handle, only through the motive of love and a true desire that they become servants of God, obedient to him first and foremost. Adults, take care of your parents when they are older. Love them. Care for them in the same way that they cared for you when you were a child. So we honor our fathers and our mothers. And as we seek to raise up a child in the way of the Lord, ultimately, we are simply seeking to glorify God. And that is the purpose for every single human being who has ever existed. God, give us the grace to do it, because sometimes it's hard. In Christ we pray, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Carolyn. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check out our website at mlepc.org. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a podcast. Have a blessed day.